Hey everybody, I'm Logan Camden. I'm Carson Brabber. And this is Nerd Sesh. No! Oh my god, how could he do that? Are you on Donate? What? Charles Darwin. All right, well, Logan, it is Monday, and you know what that means. We're going to be talking about some sports history today. Now, last week, we ranked the top 10 duos in NBA history by their absolute peaks. So we took one season for each duo, and we ranked them in that order. This week, we're going to be talking about the top 10 quarterback wide receiver duos in NFL history, but our criteria is going to be a little bit different. Just because it's a lot easier to have a fluky NFL season than it is an NBA season, I would say we just see more variety year to year there. So... Our criteria is different. It's not as clearly defined to one year. We're really just going off of our own definitions here. So let's start from the bottom. At number 10, who do you have? At number 10, I have Dan Marino and Mark Clayton. And the reason that they rank at number 10 on my list and not much higher is simply because I think basically every other receiver combination and quarterback on my list is were arguably the best quarterback or best wideout in that individual season. I don't know if you can say that Mark Clayton was ever the best wide receiver in football. Albeit, I mean, they have the fifth most touchdowns between any quarterback and receiver. Obviously, that gears a little more towards longevity than peak. Marino, in his time with Clayton, he won an MVP. He won an Offensive Player of the Year. He was a three-time first-team All-Pro and a seven-time Pro Bowler. Um, He led the league in passing five times, and in 10 seasons with Clayton, was top five in passing yards nine of those seasons. In those 10 seasons as well, he was eight times top 10 in passing yards and led the league three times. As for Clayton, his numbers aren't nearly as impressive. He had five 1,000-yard seasons, and with Marino, had a total of 538 catches and 8,468 yards. He was also a five-time Pro Bowler. He led the league in receiving touchdowns twice, yards once, and receptions once. As I said, though, they're just not going to be higher on my list because Mark Clayton was never the best receiver in the NFL. These two were actually my first omission, so they are a real honorable mention in my eyes. And I think it's interesting. What I like to do is I took the era that these two guys played together and looked at their respective position in the league as far as total yards, total touchdowns. Now, Clayton was seventh in yards for this era. He was second in touchdowns. Marino was unsurprisingly first by far in yards by almost 10,000 and by far in touchdowns by 90 in that respect. So Marino was unequivocally the best quarterback in football. What I would just say is it was more about him than about the receiver. Obviously, Mark Duper also a legitimate candidate, I would say, to be the number one Dolphins receiver in this time. He finished with more yards, I believe, than Clayton. So I would have taken Clayton for this spot as well. They were a tough omission. I ended up going, though, with another similar duo where it's a great receiver, but it's more about the all-time quarterback. I have Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne at number 10, and I just think there's a little more production there. And I would say Wayne was probably a slightly higher level receiver than Clayton, as I would say Peyton was also a slightly higher level quarterback than Marino. In total between the two of them from 2001 to 2010, 10,748 yards and 69 touchdowns. Peyton led this era in both yards and touchdowns with over 4,200 and 314 touchdowns. He was an eight-time Pro Bowler in this era, five-time All-Pro, four-time MVP, led the league in yards once, touchdowns twice, unequivocally the best player in football, I would say, certainly the best quarterback in football in this stretch. And then you have Reggie, who begins this era as a number two receiver to Marvin Harrison, who I presume we will be talking about in this episode. If not, I would be pretty shocked on your end. But then Reggie transitions and he becomes this dominant number one as well. He's fourth in this era in yards. He's fifth in this era in touchdowns. A five-time Pro Bowler, a one-time All-Pro, led the league in receiving once, had eight straight 1,000-yard seasons. So I honestly thought that the 
Reggie and Peyton duo and the Marino and Clayton duo were similar in a lot of ways. A really good receiver. Longevity works their favor, but also we saw these quarterbacks produce at a really high level with other receivers, so it can be a little bit difficult to separate how great the receiver is from just how great the quarterback is. Ultimately, though, both deserving candidates in choosing between the two, I went with Peyton and Reggie Wayne. This is going to seg nicely as I went with Peyton and Wayne also over Mark Clayton and Dan Marino. I have them at the number nine spot. Uh, just to touch on what you did, 10 seasons of this duo, Peyton was top 10 in passing yards every single year. He was top five in passing touchdowns every single year. Uh, Wayne was six times top 10 in receiving yards and four times top 10 in receiving touchdowns, although we never led. To add on to what you said though, Carson, I think the most disappointing thing about the Reggie Wayne and Peyton Manning connection, right as Wayne hit his peak in 2010. Now granted, he was an older receiver at 32. Peyton gets hurt the year after, and then we just never get to see any more of this duo when I think he had his arguably best season that year in 2010. Yeah, and obviously we did get to see a lot of them, but you're right, we could have feasibly seen even more of them. Okay, so you have those two at number nine. My number nine is an even more modern duo. I have Matt Ryan and Julio Jones here, and this is sort of the opposite of what I was just talking about. This is the all-time receiver and the really good quarterback. But if you look at their time together from 2011 to present day, they've connected for 12,744 yards, 60 touchdowns. Julio Jones has averaged 95 and a half yards per game. That is first in NFL history by almost 10 yards per game. He's twice been the league leader. Uh, in yards. He has led this era in yards. He's 10th in touchdowns. And then I think if you were to make a counter argument to these two being so high, it's obviously not Julio. Julio is going through maybe the greatest receiving decade of all time. I would say it's up there with Jerry Rice, maybe Antonio Brown from the same decade, but really all time stuff. It would be, is Matt Ryan a three-time Pro Bowl or a one-time All-Pro quite on that level? Well, I think it's interesting. He's actually led the league in yards since Julio came in in 2011 with 45,700. He's fifth in touchdowns with 281. So I think absolutely he may not have been a top five quarterback consistently in this era, but he's really right the tier below that if he isn't. And he is going to be, to me, probably a Hall of Famer when all is said and done. And also... I don't know how much this factored into your decisions. I really didn't care that much about playoff success. Now, it was a factor maybe, but how much d impact does a receiver have on winning a Super Bowl? Not all that much. But maybe if you were going to bring a counter to this duo, it would be not overwhelming team and playoff success. But what's interesting is when they have gotten there, they have both balled out. Ryan is 17 touchdowns to three interceptions in eight playoff games since Julio arrived. Julio is 834 yards and six touchdowns. So to me, when you have the greatest receiving decade ever and a really good quarterback alongside him, that's enough to get them on my list. So I'll be interested in seeing if you have them or not, but who do you have at number eight? First off, damn, dude, those are impressive numbers for Julio and Matt. I, I didn't even, I'm going to be honest, I didn't consider them for my list just because of my bias against Matt Ryan. Um, but I'm interested to hear what you think of my next duo because they... Well, I want to ask you a question about this because what tier of quarterbacks do you think Matt Ryan is in then if he's a disqualifier from this conversation? Like historically? Yeah, or within this era too. No, I would apologize. I think I did a discredit. Your number's laid out. I'm, I'm wrong. I should have considered Matt for this. Okay, well, <laughs> all right. We, we live and we learn. Okay, so let's move on then. Who do you have at number eight? And see, this is where it comes in with the longevity factor because I think Matt Ryan, Julio, Clayton, Wayne, Peyton, they all have a longevity factor over this duo. At number eight, I have Brett Favre and Sterling Sharp. And the reason why is at his peak, I would argue Sterling Sharp was the best wide receiver in the league. From 1991 to 1994, 
That was the only four seasons that Favre and Sharp uh, spent together. Sharp had 3,000-yard seasons. He was a three-time Pro Bowler, a two-time All-Pro first-teamer. He led the league in receptions twice. All uh, three years, he was top five in receptions. He led the league in receiving touchdowns twice, and he was three... uh, he was top five in that three times as well. He led the league in receiving yards as well, and he was top five another uh, time as well, and he led the league in yards per game. As for Brett Favre, now this could be the counter to why you would not have Sharp or Favre on your list. Favre didn't hit his peak during this time with Sterling Sharp. He won three MVPs in consecutive seasons after Sterling Sharp left him, but during his time with Sharp, he was two times top five in passing touchdowns and three times top 10 in passing touchdowns, and he was once top five in passing yards, but three times top 10 in passing yards. And this duo, um, all-time in four seasons, 315 catches, 3,854 yards in 42 touchdowns. Um, again, I think this tandem could be way higher if Favre and Sharp had played uh, much longer together, if their peaks had aligned a little better. But I think for what we saw out of them for these four seasons, it's for the best we've ever seen out of a quarterback in wideout. Well, I will say that it's really three because it's 92, 93, 94. And I did end up leaving this duo off my list. Part of that is I wanted to favor longevity to a certain extent. Not in that I think longevity is the most important thing because I don't. I would rather have a duo that gives me 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns from the receiver for five years than just 950 or whatever for a decade. But if it's only going to be three years, they have to be really, really exceptional three years. And from Sharp, I think there's a strong case to be made that they were. From Brett Favre, though, I can't quite get there. He's 70 touchdowns to 51 interceptions. His first year, 18 touchdowns to 13 picks. His second year, 19 to 24. So he is dead even between touchdowns and interceptions through two seasons. And he didn't reach 20 touchdowns once. So if we're going off name value, Absolutely. If we're going on the receiver end, then yes, I think there's a strong case to be made. But Favre just wasn't quite there, in my opinion. So I ended up leaving them off. Although Sterling Sharp's prime is obviously one of the more iconic in the history of football at the receiver position. This one is an interesting one, in my opinion. And I want to—I already see your face there as you look over to my computer. At number eight, I have John Hadle and Lance Allworth. So maybe Hadle isn't considered in that all-time quarterback class either. I don't think he should be, but Allworth as a receiver, his peak is absolutely one of the highest in football history. And this duo is in a lot of ways a little Matt Ryan, Julio-esque. You have the really good quarterback, the best receiver of the era, and maybe the really good quarterback put up slightly better numbers than you think of when you consider him because maybe there wasn't overwhelming playoff success. So let's just run it down. From 1964 to 1972, Allworth had 71 touchdowns, 8,800 yards. Both of those led that era. Six-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, led the league in yards three times, touchdowns twice. His five-year peak is ridiculous from 64 to 68, over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns is his average in the 1960s. I don't think we can overstate how incredible that is. That would be the best receiver in football right now if he did that. That's Julio numbers effectively, maybe a few few less yards, a few more touchdowns, and he did it in the 60s. But then the other component of this conversation is, of course, Hadel, who I think is largely forgotten because maybe he didn't win that much. But in this era that I'm talking about, 64 through 72, he led in passing yards and led in touchdowns. So just based off those stats, was the most prolific quarterback in football with 24,800 yards, 180 touchdowns, led the league in yards three times, touchdowns twice, and was a five-time Pro Bowler. So maybe he's not quite Fran Tarkenton. Maybe he's not the best quarterback of this era, but a really consistent, really statistically prolific one who had the best receiver in football who he was throwing to. So again, I see a lot of parallels between these two and the Matt Ryan and Julio duo 
just 50 years apart. So before we get on to your number seven, because obviously you seemed a bit surprised to see these two here, what do you think of my having them on my list? Well, I love it for Lance Allworth. Allworth was clearly the best receiver of this era. Um, I feel like on Hadle's side, as you said, I think a lot of comparisons between Julio and Ryan are apt. Um, I feel like Hadle kind of lets him down in this conversation and was a benefic- uh, was a beneficiary of the you know high-octane offense that they ran back in the day. Hadle was the reason I didn't have this duo on my list. Allworth, though, again, as you make the argument, Allworth was, is one of the greatest receivers of all time. I mean, criminally overlooked with his numbers. Absolutely. Just completely ahead of his time. Him and Don Hudson are the guys who are so far ahead of their time. Don Hudson, obviously, in a completely different era of football still, but just guys putting up numbers that you can't believe given the context of their era and how much people were throwing the ball. Okay, let's move on then. Who do you have at number seven? So I'm going to go ahead and spoil a little bit of my next two. These are these next two are both uh, similar to Favre and Sharp in the sense that they didn't really have super long peaks. At number seven, I have Tom Brady and Randy Moss. And honestly, anybody doing this ranking, if you had them in your top three, maybe in the number one spot, I wouldn't even blame you. Tom Brady and Randy Moss have the greatest peak of any quarterback and wide receiver in NFL history. Moss in, and this is two full seasons, because remember in 08, Brady gets hurt, he goes down, Matt Castle steps in. Randy Moss was still, uh, I believe, top five in receiving touchdowns that season, even with Matt Castle at quarterback. But in these two seasons, Moss was a one-time Pro Bowler, even though he led the league in receiving touchdowns and was top five in receiving yards both seasons. In that historic 07 season, 98 catches, nearly 1,500 yards and 23 touchdowns. In 07, the Patriots had the number one offense in the league. In 09, they had the number six offense in the league. Brady, in his first season with Moss, led the league in completion percentage, passing yards, yards per attempt, yards per game, and QBR. He won off Offensive Player of the Year, MVP, First Team All-Pro, and obviously through 50 touchdowns. He was a two-time Pro Bowler in that span as well. He led the league in passing yards in 07. He was top five in 09. And then again, he led the league in passing touchdowns in 07, and he was top 10 in 09. I just literally the greatest peak of any quarterback and wide receiver duo, I think, in NFL history. Yeah, and I hinted at the fact that maybe there was one exception to the five-plus years rule for me. I think that it is deservedly those two because of what you mentioned, just an unparalleled peak. And it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see them play together for longer. I have them a couple spots higher and I will get to them. But in my number seven, I have a couple of maybe your old personal favorite slogan. I don't know how much one of these guys is in favor with you right now, but I have Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown here. So if we're looking at the stretch from 2010 through 2018, and I should say, When I give the numbers here, these are in games that were started by this quarterback and this receiver. I did not go down to every single play and see every single ball, but I'm not counting games that the quarterbacks didn't play in. So in that era, these two connected for 10,650 yards and 74 touchdowns. Ben, a five-time Pro Bowler, he was sixth in yards and touchdowns in this era with over 37,000 yards, 236 touchdowns to just 109 interceptions, and A.B., is again, the catalyst in them being so high in this for me. These last three pairs, I would say, follow maybe similar formulas. I just think Ben is the strongest quarterback of the bunch, which is why I give them a bit of an edge. But AB, a seven-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, twice led the league in yards, once in touchdowns, is first in this era in yards and catches, second in touchdowns. He has 837 catches for 11,200 yards, 74 touchdowns in total, 86 yards per game, would be second of all time, behind, of course, only Julio Jones. And so 
If you're looking at this duo, you have one of the great arm talents of all time in Ben. You have, obviously, an incredible winner. These teams were always really good. Just a couple guys who could make some magic happen. AB, an incredibly sharp route runner. A red zone threat, an imposing one for his size, could kill you on a slant. We know he's one of the technically greatest wide receivers of all time with one of the absolute highest peaks of all time. Here's one interesting part with this duo. In games without Ben Roethlisberger, AB averaged in his Steelers career 43.9 yards per game. Now that stat's slightly unfair because three of those games are from his rookie year when he really wasn't playing that much. But even still, if you take them out, it's only 61.9 over seven games and no touchdowns if Ben Roethlisberger was not throwing him the ball. And if you make it his entire career without Ben, including obviously his stints in New England and Tampa Bay now, it's about 61 yards per game over 16 games versus 86 plus when Ben is the guy throwing him the ball. Landry never threw him a touchdown. No. At least not in a game that Ben started. It's possible that maybe Ben got hurt, did a little bit of his act there, and then Landry came in, but not in a game that was not started by Ben. That's shocking. I applaud you, one Carson, for going through the entire history because I told you yesterday I wasn't going to put him on my list because I knew Ben had missed so many games. But, I mean, A.B., I think, in my opinion, I've had this debate with a lot of people, I think A.B. is the best receiver of this era. You could argue Julio Jones. You could Alvin argue Calvin Johnson as well. But I just think with how long A.B. played, what he did at his peak, I mean, again, for a wide receiver his size, it's insane that he ever led the league in touchdowns, that he did all this. So, okay, let me ask you this then. With that number, who was more impressive in your opinion? Who got them this high a ranking on your list? Absolutely, Antonio Brown. I think that that stat is interesting. I don't think it's representative of his ability as a receiver, though. I think it honestly might be more representative of the caliber of quarterbacks he had thrown to him when Ben was out in Pittsburgh. Although what makes it interesting is that his numbers are similar in New England and Tampa Bay, but also he's a little bit older. He's dealing with some loaded receiving cores, so a bunch of things come into play there. But I think A.B. was right there with Julio was the best receiver in football. To me, they are both undoubtedly top 10 talents of all time, maybe top five talents of all time. They're that special. And they were going head to head for that title for a while. So that was fun. So I have them seventh. It's to me a top 15 quarterback of all time and undeniably a top 15 receiver of all time as well. So a very strong pair. Let's move on. Who do you have at number six? This one I think is probably going to be my most controversial ranking. I have Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey at number six. And I just think that when you look at the peak, like I said with Moss, with Sharp, these guys arguably have the third highest peak of anybody, and they've only played three seasons together. They've already won a Super Bowl. They're on the cusp of another this season. Kelsey, in these three seasons, been a pro bowler the entire time. He's been first-team All-Pro twice. He's once been top five in receptions, but he's been uh, top 10 in receptions all three years. Twice top five in receiving yards all three years. He's been top 10. And twice top 10 in receiving touchdowns, once top five uh, in that respect as well. But when you get to Mahomes, Obviously won an MVP, Offensive Player of the Year. He's been a pro bowler all three seasons, led the league in passing touchdowns. He's been top 10 every single year with Kelsey, and he's been top 10 in passing yards all three of these years. And when you look at them historically, like you say with Ben and A.B., both top 15 uh, receivers and quarterbacks, Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. I don't feel like I'm going out on a limb by saying that, at least arm talent-wise. I'd still have Brady above him historically, but still, as it counts, I think Mahomes is the most talented. And then when you get to Kelsey... I think there's an argument to be made. We did our top 10 tight ends ranking. I had him number five. I think talent-wise, there's an argument to be made that he's top three. I mean, this is just, it's another perfect storm. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised at the end of this if they were top three, maybe even the number one duo, depending on how long both of them play. Yeah, I think that they will certainly have a firm spot on this list at some point, although Kelsey is a little older than we tend to remember. He's Gronk's age, basically. He's 31 years old, but is firmly in his prime and right now is unstoppable. And of course, 
Mahomes, I've said it, I think is the greatest football player ever or the best football player ever. This version of Patrick Mahomes over these past three years, I'm taking over any other three years from any player in NFL history. And that's regardless of position, honestly. So they'll get there. For me, though, like I was saying, I really did value longer stretches, five plus years. And I don't think that Kelsey's peak is quite high enough to get there. I would say this is his best season, without a doubt, with a little over 1,400 yards and 11 touchdowns. As far as tight ends go, it may be the best season ever. But when you're comparing it to such prolific receivers, not quite a high enough level, although Mahomes does make this an interesting case. So interesting. I didn't really consider them. I do think they'll be here. But three years for me is not quite enough to have them up in that top tier. Although... Again, maybe they're a little closer than I gave them credit for. My number six is the quarterback tight end duo that I have on my list, and that is Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, who have connected for 8,473 yards and 86 touchdowns and 129 career games together, basically a decade now. And of course, part of what comes into this conversation is just how many games Gronk misses. So maybe some of the single season numbers aren't as impressive as they could have been, but the average for a decade, if Gronk were healthy for a 16-game season, would have been 1,037 yards, 10 and a half touchdowns. For a decade, that's about as good as it gets. Gronk is a five-time Pro Bowler, a four-time All-Pro, and before this season, if Gronk played 14 games, he had done that five times. He was an All-Pro four of those times. The only time that he wasn't an All-Pro was his rookie season when he wasn't nearly at his peak. So if he was healthy, he was a sure thing to be acknowledged as the best tight end in football. He has actually still led this era in touchdowns despite all his injuries, and he's 11th in yards. And then Brady, a nine-time, I mean, obviously we're all familiar with Tom Brady's work, nine-time Pro Bowler, two-time All-Pro, two-time MVP in this era, fourth in this era in yards, second in touchdowns, 48,000-plus yards, 356 touchdowns, 92 interceptions. You seem taken aback by the Gronk touchdown stat, so I want to... Gronk's number one over any other wideout. In this era, in this decade, he is, despite the many injuries, because we talk about how he wasn't at his prime right when he came into the league, but he was obviously still one of the most dangerous red zone weapons. He got 10 touchdowns as a rookie, and then you follow that up with 17 and 11. He's been pretty consistently in double digits when he's healthy. So they have the advantage of having... We say that Mahomes is the best player of all time. I think Brady is still the greatest quarterback of all time if we're ranking them. Maybe the greatest football player, period. So you have that in his advantage. You have Gronk, one of the most uniquely unstoppable weapons in football. Maybe the greatest red zone weapon that we've ever seen. And I talked about how playoff success was not a big component as far as team success, but... These dudes not only had the three Super Bowls, they also were both exceptionally individually, exceptional individually, I should say. In 16 playoff games in New England, Gronk gave you 1,163 yards and 16 touchdowns. It's a nice exact regular season sample size there with 16 games, and the production's incredible. Brady in the playoffs was 52 touchdowns to 21 picks in this stretch. And here's another interesting stat. I liked separating the receivers from the quarterback at some points, like I just did with A.B. and Ben. In two career games without Tom Brady, Gronk has had one catch for 11 yards. Now, obviously, I don't think that Brady has made Gronk what he is. He's one of the more incredible eye-popping talents there is, but a fun stat nonetheless. But to me, although maybe they haven't as consistently been out there, although maybe Gronk is not as insane as some of the absolute all-time receivers at their best, they've maybe the greatest quarterback ever. They have 
maybe the greatest tight end ever, and that to me is enough to have them here. Well, first off, so who was it? Was it Garoppolo and Brissett? Are those the two games? That's correct. One was against the Texans, one was against the Bills. I can't remember if Garoppolo started both or if one was Garoppolo, one was Brissett. It's funny to me that uh, I'm glad you have them on your list. I have them a little bit higher just because of, as you mentioned, the playoff success. I do think the Super Bowl factor factors in, but uh, yeah, I mean, they're two of the best to ever do it at their positions. All right, so let's move into the top five now. Who do you have fifth? So we are going from the modern era to a way, way back. And I'm going Johnny Unitas and Raymond Berry at my number five spot. They spent 12 seasons together. They captured two NFL championships. Unitas was the greatest quarterback of his era. Three-time MVP, 10-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro. He was in all 12 seasons. Unitas was top 10 in passing yards, and he led the league four times. He led the league in passing touchdowns four times, yards per game four times, and QBR uh, three times. And it's nice because their careers pretty much overlapped perfectly, Barry and Unitas. Uh, I think Barry was had played one season previous to Unitas before he came in. As for Barry, six-time Pro Bowler, a three-time first-team All-Pro. He was eight times top 10 in receptions. He led the league in receiving yards three times and was top 10 six times total. He led the league in receiving touchdowns twice and was six times in the top 10 for receiving touchdowns as well. I think when you're talking about old era connections, I don't think it gets much better than Unitas and Barry. I think there is a case to be made with Allworth's number that it is Hadel and Allworth, but just because of the quarterback prowess of Unitas, what he accomplished in this era, I would lean towards them. Unitas's statistical production is maybe more of an outlier than any other player in NFL history at the quarterback position. Marino is maybe in a similar conversation, but Unitas is literally one and a half times outproducing the second best guy in football. So I have this duo a little bit higher and I will get to them. But first I want to talk about Brady and Moss, who I do have fifth. And really the rationale here is pretty simple. It's two guys who are both top three all time at their respective positions. It's only two seasons basically, but in 36 games in New England, Randy Moss, excuse me, in 36 games that he played with Brady in New England, gave you 39 touchdowns, 2,900 yards. He was obviously all pro in the 07 season. So if you average that out, To a 16-game sample, his average season would be 1,289 yards and 17 touchdowns. It's disgusting. And of course, Brady is phenomenal as well. He has 87 touchdowns to 23 picks in this time. You mentioned the MVP, all the accomplishments. But it really just comes down to the 2007 year alone. You have a guy who sets the record for passing touchdowns. You have a guy who sets the record for receiving touchdowns. It's It's a peak that we have never seen before. Brady was perfect. Moss was perfect. 4,800 yards, 50 touchdowns, 8 picks, 69% completion. Brady led the league in every passing category. Moss with a 1,500-yard, 23-touchdown season. You can't ask for more. These guys were maybe not at their absolute peaks, but I would say that this is probably both of their best individual seasons, even though Moss was coming off a stretch in which he hadn't been as great, and Brady maybe won even more later in his career. This is as good as it has gotten at this position, and if they had done it for longer, they probably would be higher on my list. And if we were going by the single season peak like we did for the NBA list, they would probably be number one. So the peak itself outweighed what Gronk and Tom did for a decade? I think so, because the peak is just so ridiculous, and I couldn't really look at this list and say, I would rather have Gronk and Brady than Brady and Moss. And it was close. There was a time when I actually did have it flipped, but the peak to me is high enough to overcome basically everything else that mattered for me on this list, just because there's no other peak like this from a duo that was together so briefly. How did Gronk's 17 touchdown season weigh in on that? I mean, that version of Gronk was maybe the best receiving weapon in football. I'd say it's him and Megatron, which is something that a tight end has almost never been in history. That's an incredible peak season as well. 
Brady wasn't quite quite as insane that season, though. He was really, really good. It wasn't his absolute statistical peak, though. And I still don't think that it was as good of a season from Gronk as Randy Moss, who, again, literally set the touchdown record and is just a more dynamic weapon at his absolute best. Okay, so let's move on now. Who do you have fourth? So at number four, I have Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. They played six seasons, five fully healthy ones. Uh, And... It was interesting how you weigh Super Bowl victories because all of my top four duos um, have Super Bowl championships, but it's kind of hard to gauge you know, where the team aspect comes into play with QB and wideouts. Still, you can't argue with what production happened. Jerry Rice, the greatest wide receiver of all time in these five fully healthy seasons, was a five-time Pro Bowler, was a five-time first-team All-Pro, was an Offensive Player of the Year in 87, had five 1,000-yard seasons. He was top five in receiving yards all five years, and he led the league four of those years. He was top five in receiving yards all five years, and he led the league in that category three times. He was a three-time league leader in yards per game as well, and he was top five in receptions four times out of those five seasons. As for Montana, you could argue over this stretch, Montana was more impressive, although I would still say Jerry Rice's 22-touchdown season outweighs basically anything any wide receiver's ever done. Montana was a two-time MVP, a four-time Pro Bowler. He was three times first-team All-Pro. He led the league in completion percentage three times, which speaks to Rice's hands and actually some of the caliber of his other receivers on that roster. Uh, Montana was top 10 in passing touchdowns all five years. He was top 10 in passing yards all five years. I mean, like we said for Gronk and Brady, just two of the greatest peaks of all time coming together. Uh, But still, in saying that, I do have Rice and Montana's back up a little higher. This feels too low. I think we're going to disagree here, and I will get to why I disagree a little bit more as I present my case for these two. Fourth, I have Unitas and Barry, who you just touched on, but if we're looking at how they performed within this era, the stat that I've been citing this whole time, Barry led this era in yards. He was fourth in touchdowns. Uh, Unitas didn't just lead this era in yards and touchdowns. As I mentioned earlier, he's literally exactly one and a half times second place, 33,000 yards to 22,000 touchdowns, 252 touchdowns to 175. That is him in first versus the person in second. I would also like to appreciate those are both as close to exactly one and a half times as you can get, which is just nice for a guy like me who enjoys ratios. Who is second then? I forget, but somebody really good, <laughs> but I really actually, I don't remember, but they also had the team success, two-time NFL champs, unfortunately didn't get a Super Bowl because it, of course, didn't exist yet at the time when these two were playing together, but I feel like you've made the case, both multiple-time league leaders in their respective categories, Unitas was unequivocally the best quarterback in football far and away, and Barry may have been the best receiving weapon in football for a certain part of this stretch. So when you have a four-time All-Pro in Barry, a five-time All-Pro in Unitas, a three-time MVP in Unitas, a 10-time Pro Bowler, Barry a six-time Pro Bowler, it's just an incredible it's an incredible resume for the duo on really every respect, so I think that they have to be top five here. Let's get into number three then. Who do you have? So number three, I have Steve Young and Jerry Rice. I think Young's numbers is what swayed me over to Montana. They both had two MVPs, but... Young and Rice played together a little more, although I would argue that Rice's peak came when he was playing with Montana. He was just better then. Um, Still, though, I think the longevity factor played into why I'm leaning. You know, Montana spent his early part of his career without Rice. Young got to spend most of his prime with him, although they only came away with one Super Bowl. This duo has the third most touchdowns between any QB and receiver, 92 total, 85 in the regular season, seven in the playoffs. Young, as I mentioned, a two-time MVP, three times first-team All-Pro. He led the league in touchdowns four times over his nine seasons. He was top 10 in 
uh, passing yards six times as well. As for Rice, he won another Offensive Player of the Year playing with Steve Young in 1993. He was a six-time first-team All-Pro, and he had seven 1,000-yard seasons over those nine years. He led the league in receiving touchdowns twice and was top five six times. He led the league in receiving three times and was top 10 in that category seven times as well. So Carson, uh, I guess tell me your number three and then tell me why you disagree. So my number three is also Steve Young and Jerry Rice. And uh, I'll get into the reason I disagree, but I think obviously these are incredible resumes here. You have, between the two of them in this era, regular season over 8,500 yards, 75 touchdowns. Young, as you mentioned, a two-time MVP, led the league in touchdowns four times. In this era, had the second most passing touchdowns, was third in yards, first in completion percentage. And Jerry Rice, unsurprisingly, was the best receiver in football in this era as well. There's a couple things that I think I point to. So... I just think that flat out Montana is a better quarterback all time than Young. I think that also Rice was at a higher peak. And I think of the two of them at a higher peak, both as far as regular season and postseason. Here's an interesting stat for you. And I don't think this should be the end all be all by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something I've cited a few times where receivers produce noticeably worse with their quarterback out, right? You really feel the absence of that guy. Jerry Rice actually, in his time with Steve Young, averaged more yards per game without him at over 88 than with him at 85. So that's an interesting thing that I found, but it also comes down to the playoff performances. In their Super Bowl run, these two were great. Steve Young, nine touchdowns to zero interceptions. Jerry Rice, 233 yards and four touchdowns. But in the rest of their playoff careers together, Steve Young was 10 touchdowns to 12 interceptions. Jerry Rice was just 67.7 yards per game. I feel weird critiquing this duo because I honestly think that when I make the case for why I think Montana and Rice is better, it will be much more just about their unparalleled dominance historically than anything else. It's not an anti-Young and Rice case. I just think there's a couple cracks in the armor that do not exist for Montana and Rice in my opinion. And I just think There's a reason that Montana was the dude at the helm for the entire time he was during his prime and not Steve Young. He was just better, and Rice was better in that stretch as well. And they won more, if that matters. And they also performed better in the Super Bowl and in the playoffs, if that matters. No, no. Yes. Not in the Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. It's all 60 Ds in the Super Bowl, Carson. one game. Okay, Montana had his five-touchdown game and then followed it up with another masterpiece, and Jerry Rice had the 200-something yard game in the Super Bowl. I was going to say how many Super Bowls did Steve Young play in, but that kind of goes against my argument, so I will just keep my mouth shut. Yeah, I will be reciting I will be reciting Montana and Rice's Super Bowl numbers, and I think a lot of jaws will hit the floor, so I disagree there. All right, so I will continue that debate when I get to where I have Montana and Rice, but let's now move to the runner-up spot. Who do you have second? At number two, I have Rob Gronkowski and Tom Brady. And as you laid out, Carson, when Gronk was healthy, he was the best weapon in football. I mean, five-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, seven times top 10 in receiving touchdowns when he wasn't healthy for all of those seven seasons. Uh, What he did was, at another level, Brady was still at MVP level. He won two MVPs over his time with Gronk, an Offensive Player of the Year. He was two times first-team All-Pro. In those 10 seasons, again, Gronk wasn't healthy all year, so this just speaks to Brady's ability. Um, He was... All 10 years, he was top 10 in passing yards. He was top 10 in passing touchdowns nine of those years. Um, I think the one uh, outlier was the season where he sat out four games. But uh, they have the second most touchdowns between QB and receivers. So when you talk longevity, this is one of the greatest of all time. Uh, 97, 90 in New England, 85 in the regular season, 12 of them in the playoffs. That is including his numbers from his time in Tampa Bay this year where he caught seven. And then I think, of course, when you talk about signature seasons, Grant's 17 touchdown season is one of the greatest of all time when it comes to any receiver. Uh, so I- I'm going to ask you this then, Carson. What was the... I guess you can get into this by yourself, but I'm just wondering why you didn't lean... Uh, as heavy, uh, why you don't have Gronk and Brady as high as I do. Maybe I'm just not quite as high 
on Gronk as an all-time superstar weapon as you are. Like, I don't think he's comparable to say, Rice, if you put a gun to my head and say, would you rather have A.B. or Julio versus Gronk? I'm taking A.B. and Julio. I'm taking a Lance Allworth. So I think he's unique as far as the tight end position. I'm also obviously taking a Randy Moss. So that's really what it comes down to. It's He's great, but as I mentioned, his stats over a 16-game sample are his averages are a little over a thousand yards, a little over ten touchdowns. That's fantastic. It doesn't quite compare to some of the great receivers on this list, though. So, are you? Would you take Tom Brady or Steve Young? I would take Tom Brady. Would you take Tom Brady or Joe Montana? I would probably take Tom Brady. Okay. Yeah, I mean Montana at this peak was absolutely incredible. It's a little bit difficult to separate the specific years from the career as a whole because these specific years, maybe I would take Montana. But it's also really not very close for me between Rice and Gronk. Okay, so here are my silver medalists, and they actually played in silver. I have Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison here, who from 1998 to 2008 connected for 12,878 yards, 114 touchdowns. By sheer volume, those are pretty comfortably the best numbers of all time. Peyton led this era in yards and touchdowns, 333 touchdowns to just 165 interceptions. He twice led the league in yards, three times in touchdowns, and of course, nine-time Pro Bowler, four-time All-Pro, three-time MVP in this stretch. And then Harrison, almost equally dominant, led this era in catches, second in yards, third in touchdowns, and is mixed up with Obviously, a couple of other all-time greats in Terrell Owens and Randy Moss, if not for them, would probably be number one across the board. Led the league in yards twice, touchdowns once, an eight-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro, and his peak as a receiver, ridiculous. The longevity's there, but from 1999 through 2002, he was averaging 1,580 yards and 13 touchdowns per season. That's disgusting. The only little cracks in the armor, again, that there is with this duo is... Playoff performance. In 15 playoff games, Harrison had just 812 yards and two touchdowns. Peyton had 21 touchdowns to 17 interceptions. Really not very good production from either of them. Closer to league average in that respect. And then in the Super Bowl, neither of them excelled. Harrison had just 59 yards. Peyton had 247 yards, one touchdown, one pick. So the longevity is there. The peak is incredibly high. It's a top three quarterback ever. It's a top 10 receiver ever, but they don't quite compare to my number one duo. I love the route that you've taken for this argument. Okay, what's the route? To argue against the Super Bowl numbers because that's the only thing that you can attack. No, I like it. No, what are you talking about? I gave you their entire playoff numbers. Well, I know, but they just don't match up to Montana or Rice. I love where you've taken this. Okay, but I think it goes much beyond. I mean, their their regular seasons are unrivaled. I can't wait to give you Jerry Rice and Joe Montana's numbers because I think they're going to kind of blow your mind. Okay. All right, but let's get into who you have number one first. I mean, I don't think it's any shock. I have Marvin and Peyton number one. As you said, their regular season statistical production, I think, matches up with anybody's. It's better than anyone's. Um, Marvin, at his peak, seven times top 10 receiving yards. He was six times top 10 in receptions, eight times top five in receiving touchdowns. This duo played 11 seasons together. Manning was all 11 seasons. He was top 10 in passing yards. All 11 seasons, he was top five in passing touchdowns. As you mentioned, he was a three-time MVP, a nine-time Pro Bowler. Um, I just think statistical production, when you look at longevity, it's, it's unrivaled. And longevity, maybe it is. My number one, though, is Montana and Rice. So I'm just going to take a minute here to go through all the components in this discussion. So from Montana in this era, from 1985 through 1990, Jerry Rice had 6,761 yards, 66 touchdowns in 61 games. That's 110.8 yards per game. That's over a touchdown per game. So 
If we're extrapolating those averages from over six years to a 16-game sample size, you know what that is, Logan? That's 1,773 yards and 16 touchdowns as the average for a half decade. What's interesting is, without Montana in that stretch, Rice really dropped off by a significant amount. He's just 73.7 yards per game, an almost 40-yard difference. But I'm sorry, when we talk about Julio at 95.5 as the all-time leader by 10 by 10. No one else touches that. And then Jerry Rice with Joe Montana throwing him the ball is 15 above that. It's the GOAT for good reason. And it's also the guy who, until Tom Brady came along, was the GOAT quarterback. Montana, four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, two-time MVP. He's fifth in yards, third in touchdowns, led the league in completion percentage in this era. And Jerry Rice is completely untouched, led the league in yards three times, touchdown four times, five straight all pros, led the league in yards in this era by one and a half thousand, touchdowns by 32. And then also, if you look at their playoff runs in 88 and 89, their two Super Bowl seasons when they went back to back, Montana threw for 19 touchdowns to one interception, completed 70% of his passes. Jerry Rice had 726 yards and 11 touchdowns. That's in six games. 726 yards and 11 touchdowns and 19 touchdowns to one interception. And then in the Super Bowls, they were perfect. Montana, 654 yards and seven touchdowns to no interceptions. Jerry Rice, 363 yards and four touchdowns. It's essentially perfection at the quarterback and wide receiver positions, and they also won at the highest level. They're the driving force in one of the great offenses and great teams of all time. They are both, to me, top two all time at their position. I still think Montana, as far as accomplishments goes, is second all time as for quarterbacks, and Rice is far and away the goat at receiver. So that's where I stand. I just think the peak, maybe the longevity isn't Harrison and Peyton, but I really don't care. They did more of significance in half the time. They won more. They produced, I mean, Jerry Rice in six playoff games significantly outproduced Marvin Harrison's playoff career in 15. Harrison had a little late over 800 yards and two touchdowns. Jerry Rice in six games had 726, 11 touchdowns, two Super Bowl rings, and a Super Bowl MVP. So I feel pretty good about having them in my top spot. What do you think? Yeah, I got nothing, bro. Um, I mean, I, the I think the longevity argument is what I would lean on, but no, the, the playoff numbers don't hold up. Peyton, for lack of a better term, you know, crapped the bed every playoff run. So, I, I mean, when if we're including playoffs, which I think is interesting because it seems like you avoided it for most of your list, but in this case, no, I got nothing against the playoff numbers. Peyton and Marvin do not compare. They're not in the same. They're not in the same class. So. It's an interesting debate. I'm glad you took it because I think that, honestly, I think the opinion when you think of QB wideout duo, I think most people go towards Marvin and Peyton because of the longevity. I will also say, I think the regular season, this is the better duo as well. Jerry Rice is 1,773 yards, 17 touchdowns as an average. Yeah, that's just dumb, bro. It's ridiculous. Like, I don't know. I still think he has to be the greatest football player of all time if we're taking positional value out of it. Like, we can talk about Brady, but... It's stupid, bro. It's a different level. Well, I mean, if we're taking positional value out of football, I think Jerry Rice is unequivocally the greatest football player of all time. And then I think there's a debate to be made potentially for a Lawrence Taylor. Although I do think Brady's entered that conversation yes. just because what he's doing is ridiculous. Okay, so that's the official top 10. Let's get into some honorable mentions now. I wrote down 37 duos for this list. So I have a few. I've cut it down to the ones that were the closest cuts, though. But let's start with you, because maybe you'll have a better gauge of, of which ones actually deserve to be here. Who are some of your honorable mentions? Well, first off, the, the first two guys that I wrote down, the first two tandems, uh, were Jim Kelly, Andre Reed, Troy Aikman, and Michael Irvin. Just because 
with what they did in the 90s, the team success that they had, obviously the Bills, four Super Bowl appearances, the Cowboys, three Super Bowl championships. I just thought that the playoff success should weigh in in there. But honestly, Andre Reid's numbers don't compare to any other wideout on this list. Michael Irvin's numbers don't. The numbers just don't really compare across eras. Uh, Big Ben and A.B. were an uh, honorable mention. Fouts, Winslow, uh, Rodgers, and Jordy Nelson. And then I think the biggest one for me that I left off and I really wanted to have on this list was Kurt Warner and Isaac Bruce. The peak just wasn't long enough. I mean, I think when you're looking, if we did this like peak season, I think there's definitely a debate to be made for Warner and Bruce. But when you factor in longevity um, and stuff like that, uh, they just don't compare. So you touched on most of mine. I will make a statement, though, and I want to talk about this duo. I do not have Aikman and Irvin on my short list of honorable mentions. You left them off. You talked about Irvin. To me, it's not Irvin. It's far and away Aikman. The dude threw for 20 touchdowns once in his career, and to me, you can put so many quarterbacks in NFL history with that offensive line, with two of the greatest weapons ever, and you're going to win Super Bowls. It's not about Aikman. No, I completely agree. I mean, Irvin had six 1,000-yard seasons over their 11 uh, years, and... I, just the duo together combined for 60 touchdowns. You're not making a top 10 with those numbers. Yeah, Troy Aikman was a above-average quarterback in a really all-time fortunate situation. Yeah, mediocre. Yeah, I don't know if I would go that far, but <laughs> the, I don't know. My brother thinks he's the most overrated football player of all time, and he might actually be onto something. So they're not on my short list. I do have Reed and Kelly there because within their era— They were among the best. Reed was third in yards for his era, third in touchdowns, a seven-time Pro Bowler. Kelly, fourth in yards, second in touchdowns for his era. And obviously, the playoff success is there as well, although Jim Kelly's playoff production is not great, 21 touchdowns to 26 picks. I have Farvin Sharp as an honorable mention because of the peak, but really, I also have Warner and Bruce. They're a similar tandem, just an incredibly high peak. I would say a higher peak, but not quite high enough, not Brady Moss level. And I have Rivers and Gates as well, just because great longevity there, although that may disgust you to hear. But the toughest cut to me that we haven't talked about, the only pair that I really considered putting on, I would say, that I left off besides Marino and Clayton is Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson, just because Megatron led his era in yards and touchdowns. And Stafford, from 2011 through 2015, fifth in touchdowns, third in yards. Johnson's averages from 2011 through 2015, 1,492 yards, 10 touchdowns. Stafford's in that era, 4,635, 28.8 touchdowns to 15.4 interceptions. Another interesting with-without quarterback disparity here. With Stafford in this era, Johnson was 96.6 yards per game. Without him, just 68. So this one is driven by, by Megatron, obviously. I ended up deciding Stafford not quite good enough, but they were close, and they were maybe closer than I expected even. And probably because he had Dante Culpepper and Dan Orlovsky throwing him the football. I'm sure that that played a factor. Any other honorable mentions? Yeah, I do want to mention uh, Norm Van Brocklin and Crazy Legs Elroy Hirsch. They had one really good season, uh, 124.6 yards per game for Hirsch in 1951 with nearly 1,500 yards and 17 touchdowns. But I mean, in nine seasons, these guys had 300 catches, 7,000 yards, 50 touchdowns. Even for that era, it doesn't quite uh, measure up. And then I'd like to give a shout out to Drew Brees and Marcus Colston, who actually have the seventh most receiving touchdowns between any QB and receiver in NFL history. It's just crazy because I think I don't know, man. I think Marcus Colston's kind of just historically overlooked by a lot of people. You don't really think of him when it comes to all-time great receivers. I'm not saying that you should, but when you're talking about duos, they're two of the best ever do it. I'll throw in sort of a similar pair, Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson, who had a very similar formula. Maybe the receiver is an all-time great, but the quarterback is, and this is sort of his dependable target, particularly in the red zone for the better part of a decade. 
I think that they're both interesting choices. I also thought about some more modern pairs. I thought about even Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers. Don't think they have the longevity, but the two of the last three seasons, they've certainly been in that tier. But, I mean, I wrote down a bunch of names. I feel like I've acknowledged the ones that were most deserving of it. And as always, this was a fun one. Not as much agony, I have to say, as I felt previously. I felt pretty good with how it came out and not as many keeping me up at night. But it's always fun to have these discussions. So that will do it for us here today. You can go ahead and check out our content from last week where we did some conference championship takeaways in the NFL. Talked a little bit about what's coming up in the Super Bowl, but we'll get into that even more later in this week. We talked about NBA preseason predictions that we're regretting already last Wednesday, so you can go and check that out. You can go and follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh and on Instagram at nerd sesh. So with that, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Nerd Sesh.